Welcome to the Cryptocurrency Teens podcast, a podcast aimed to educate teens on cryptocurrency and financial literacy. Each episode features thought leaders in the crypto and blockchain industry or inspiring entrepreneurs from the business world who share their career journeys and words of wisdom for teenagers. I'm Abigail Lee, the host of this podcast series, the founder of CryptocurrencyTeens.com and a junior in high school from New York City. Welcome to this podcast. I'm Abigail Lee and the founder of CryptocurrencyTeens.com. For this episode, I'm excited to interview Christos Macaritis, an entrepreneur, professor, and policy advisor. Hi, Christos. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Abby. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate your leadership and uh, getting ahead of these issues. It's so nice to have you on. I'm really glad we can have a chance to chat today. Yeah, no, likewise, likewise. Yeah, I mean, I think getting kind of education around these uh, issues of Web3 is so important. So I'm excited for our conversation. Right. So, Christos, I see that you are the adjunct associate professor at the University of Nicosia and chief technology officer, head of research and co-founder at Living Opera. Can you tell us more about your companies and your roles? Yeah. Well, um, my journey kind of began in higher education, and I love research. I like creating things and building things and building a little bit with my my fingers and typing and, and writing. And so um, I kind of started off in academia and built a research uh, portfolio around three major items, labor economics, which studies the use of incentives, technology and how technology has influenced society, and then determinants of human flourishing. What I've realized is that a lot of those three and up converging sometimes by studying certain technological trends and with what's going on with crypto nfts and web3 that's become a really big focus of mine and so i continue to produce a lot of research on the academic side uh, through i mean university of nicosia i teach a token economics class and helping them with their masters in the metaverse the first masters in the metaverse program i think offered anywhere Um, i also have an appointment at a columbia business school and stanford's digital economy lab but what excites me the most is kind of what's going on in the entrepreneurial realm. And so with Living Opera, um, together with my best friends and co-founders, Sula Parasitis and Norman Reinhardt, who are two world-class opera singers. And before this, I had never met uh, opera singers, in particular, two of the world's leading opera singers. Our focus is on taking classical music and revitalizing it, showing people kind of the beauty behind it. And one anecdote uh, just from actually today, uh, I bought a um, a book of Mozart's, all of the letters that Mozart wrote to his mom, his sister, his dad, and just like seeing this character of Mozart, who is a musical genius, come alive. And he's just talking about, hi, mama. And like, he's just talking about a day and he's like six years old and just like some musical prodigy. It's really come alive. And so I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more over the course of the um, however much time we have. Um, But really what's exciting me is taking two areas, classical music and blockchain and creating beautiful music, beautiful art, uh, and then also creating opportunities for artists to get remunerated uh, for for their for their talent instead of um, so many artists sometimes will do something kind of for free. And it's like, you're highly skilled, you should be compensated for the talents that you have and the beauty that you're able to create. So that's a little bit about our focus in living opera. Yeah. And um, what was your career journey like to get into the crypto or blockchain industry? And why did you decide to get into this industry? 
Well, I was uh, that when I was doing my doctorate at Stanford, I uh, was that was around the time the Bitcoin was starting to get some attention. And so I started just looking at the price of Bitcoin and how that correlated with other macroeconomic variables like the unemployment rate and GDP, because one of the theories at the time was, hey, this is a new asset that offers a hedge against inflation. And so I was looking at that, some of those correlations, but it didn't really click. Um, this The whole blockchain revolution didn't really click until about three years ago when I met, um, a, a, who's now become a friend and, and is a serial entrepreneur, Ian Utili, uh, who runs a company called Attention Live. And I, I worked with him to write this white paper about NFTs and how NFTs were going to be a new vehicle for remunerating content creators. So like right now, you're a content creator, you put something on YouTube, this might go on YouTube, LinkedIn, whatever different outlets, but how do you own the actual IP around it? How do you ensure that somebody else can't pirate it? And so seeing NFTs as a big tool for content creators, that really happened back at the beginning of 2020. And then um, after I got to know Norman and Sula, started talking them about NFTs and how we could use the same technology within the arts because classical musicians struggle a lot with um, getting remunerated because they might get a contract for uh, $5,000 to perform somewhere, but uh, that has a lot of costs associated with it. Having to do the audition, having to travel, having to pay the agent fee, there's all these costs. And so what ends up happening is the artists get compensated uh, kind of like below the average, the average wage, even though they're they're usually more educated and have spent like 10 plus years really honing their craft. And so we really saw NFTs as a vehicle for democratizing the space and broadening the space. Right. So going back to your work at Living Living Opera, so um do you want to go into a little bit more detail on like what the vision of the company is and how it's been able to like incorporate different aspects of yeah. three and like cryptocurrency into their um like company yeah and and i'll just say one of the reasons i i really appreciate what you're doing in this interview is because a lot of times um it, it's like easy to focus on some of like the research and just some of the stats but we sometimes forget the personal stories that undergird everything that we're doing. And so just as a small anecdote, my kind of introduction into this space of classical music began when I when I heard Sula and Norman sing. It was just like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I hadn't heard that type of voice before. I mean, when you hear a pop artist, it can be it can be kind of cool, but like uh, when you hear a really well-trained opera singer, that is unamplified voice. That's them on a stage singing to like potentially 4,000 people with no microphone. And it's like all coming from just like your, your own unamplified voice. And so um, what we are really trying to focus on in Living Opera is creating those transformative experiences for wider audiences. And one of the messages I'd really like to convey today is that a lot of people look at opera as some kind of niche sector that, that maybe is kind of just like for a little bit older people. And in the United States, it is true that ten, tends to be a little bit older of a population, but actually in Europe, in Austria, in Germany, you have like a bunch of kids that are going to like theaters or watching the magic flute by by Mozart they're seeing it and it's a cultural experience and in the United States we've kind of lost this 
And in fact, back like 100 plus years ago, people were going to um, theaters a lot. And there's there's tons of theaters. I think there's something like 100 plus theaters just in the state of New Hampshire. And um, a lot of houses were built to have like a section of the house that was literally devoted for like 10 people to gather around a piano and to sing and to and so what we're really trying to create in Living Opera is this crossover between all that's happening in the blockchain technology space and then the historical aspects of classical music and then to create new multimedia out of that. And so we're launching a collection on September 30th called Magic Mozart. We're, we're, ta we're talking about the life of Mozart and there's like a little bit of humor that we're bringing in because Mozart was a really quirky guy that had a funny sense of humor. And uh, we're just trying to make it more accessible uh, wide in the audience. And then some of the revenues from that collection will go towards creating a micro grants program. So if you are an artist, you're able to make a proposal for $500, $1,000 and not need to worry about repaying that back, but just to be endowed with, with a little bit of seed funding to do what you need to do, whether it means getting like a new headshot or doing an audition or new voice lessons, whatever it might be. And so we're really trying to see NFTs as a vehicle for social change and uh, just broader immersive entertainment-based experiences. Yeah. And, um, so, so far, like how successful has your company been in accomplishing your vision and then like achieving, like you said, this change? Yeah, so we're a startup. We, we really just launched um, a, some months ago and we're going to be unveiling. This is our, our first major NFT collection. One thing I will say is that, and this is this is, uh, this is kind of hard for or at least kind of me to relate before I got to know the arts is that, I mean, for the past two years, theaters were closed down. And so imagine um, just like having your income completely turned off for two years. That's, it's just extremely hard for the art sector. And so we've been doing some writing. We wrote a story in the New York Daily News about how their kind of reopening was creating some new opportunities. But we had done a survey internally within Living Opera and just found so many artists had to completely abandon their main call and what they love to do to then take kind of a low wage service job um, as, as a cashier or in a, a kind of a retail company, which is, is fine to do. But if your heart and your training 10 plus years in the arts is to be a singer, performer, whatever it might be, um, it's just I just really want to emphasize that that these past two years has been an extremely tough time for the arts. Um, but within Living Opera, we're going to be unveiling this NFT collection. Um, we also just recorded a new album um, called uh, Bass and Donk Leader. We're, we're calling it Dream Girl. But the actual uh, song cycle is from a composition by a gentleman named Richard Wagner uh, many years ago. And it's a uh, it's a it's a song cycle called Bays and Donk Leader. But it's really about this um, kind of like love story um, that that uh, just tells like very human emotions around love, but also sometimes not having kind of certain dreams fulfilled and just being torn between two different worlds. And so, um, yeah, we're rolling. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is that everybody what, what's been actually extremely encouraging is that we've presented at NFT NYC twice. We're going to be presenting at NFT London in November. And the people that we've shared this with have just been and just so excited and uh, really supportive and encouraging of what we're doing. And Sula, our, our CEO and founder, uh, actually found, I think this was, this was actually on Christmas Eve. She was texting me Christmas Eve uh, last year, and she discovered that uh, Mozart was actually like the founder or kind of like the first person that really pioneered generative art. 
So everybody that's seen CryptoPunks and Boyd Yacht and all that, those generative art collections, Mozart actually created this dice game called Musicalis Werfenspiel, which is like you roll two dice and then depending on the combination, it leads to some musical composition. So they used to, back in like the 1700s, they used to just get in a room, play musical chairs, eat cake and like just uh, sing. And and uh, so anyways, it's it was really interesting um, seeing that because you see sometimes like new technology, but but seeing that the root was actually in classical music was was also kind of philosophically and conceptually uh, comforting and uh, encouraging for what we're doing. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. I think it's really interesting how you guys like combine like music and also like blockchain. Um, so firstly, like what challenges have you guys like encountered really as like a startup in this space and also um, like 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 anything that you'd like to share about like yeah. the, the company's journey um, so far? I'd say two of the bigger challenges are uh, one that the arts in particular was, was having a very tough time even before uh, 2020. Um, one of the, we, we show this in the white, we actually just released a white paper today. And in it, um, I just used data from the American Community Survey, which is from the Census Bureau. So you get some, I don't know, like 10 million observations and looking at the average wage in the United States, the real average wage. So after you control for inflation and looking at the average wage compared with the wage that artists face and seeing like, artist wages are actually not only below the national average, but they were declining. So the arts, like, I don't think that there's like one person will be like, oh, the arts is so dumb. And like, we don't care about the arts. Like clearly everybody cares about the arts. Everybody wants to have a nicely designed t-shirt. Everybody wants to have nicely designed furniture. Everybody believes in art, but the actual sector has been struggling a lot. And as a result, we're working in a space where there just hasn't been as much innovation. And a lot of the contractual terms that artists agree to are ones that are not that favorable to the actual artists. They tend to be a lot more favorable to the record label, to the big institution. Um, some of the like Metropolitan Opera in New York has some $330 million in annual budget. And so, so number one is just the, this, the ecosystem we're starting with is a challenging one. The second challenge, I think, is sometimes you meet a lot of people in the VC space where they're expecting like some 100x return in the first like year, especially in crypto. People are like, you you probably heard the term um, like, uh, what was it? Um, uh, the now, now I'm actually forgetting it. It's like yield, yield farmer, where like people are trying to get like tokens and just like get some like absurdly high APY, which is not realistic. I mean, it really is like hey, we minted another set of like billion tokens, but these tokens aren't even worth anything in the first place. And so it's it's been a little bit of educating people about how things how things work uh, and, and setting expectations and that culture culture takes time to form. And so we're not trying to do some like quick get rich, people will be able to make like some 100x return. Our magic Mozart collection is really around uh, I introduced a new mechanism for philanthropy, a decentralized grant making process where people that believe in the arts can be a micro philanthropist. It's okay if you don't have $10 million, you don't need $10 million. You need maybe like $100, $500 to sow into the lives of these artists. And then that money goes to support these artists careers. So our hope is that through this, we will be able to help many artists do what is really on their heart to do and to do it at as low of a cost as possible so that they get the education, the liquidity that they need without having a really big kind of administrative bureaucracy that 
costs a lot of money. So anyways, those are those are two of the pain points that I guess we just see generally within the sector and that we're really trying to work hard to overcome. Right. So as you know, our target audience are teens around the world who are interested in cryptocurrency or blockchain. So what advice would you give them about entering this industry in the future as a career from your personal experience? Yeah, I well, one, I think everybody that's watching, that's fantastic because it's sometimes easy to look at something new and to be kind of like dismissive of it or to say, uh, just to poke holes. And the reality is that there's like, plenty of holes to pick in like everything. Nothing is ever perfect because as humans, we're not perfect. So I, I think it's fantastic, uh, the community and the audience that is listening to this and that you've taken the leadership to build. Um, but I think practically speaking, uh, two things come to mind. One is just being really curious and asking questions. Uh, sometimes I see people in this, in the kind of decentralized finance space that feel like they're a little too proud to ask something basic. And I remember asking one DeFi founder some like really basic questions about the value proposition because I was looking at the slides and just really not getting it. And I got back an explanation that was a little bit convoluted. And I, I honestly, I still didn't get it. And I think that usually that means that maybe the founder hasn't fully thought through uh, the product and how to, or at least how to explain it. And so I want to encourage everybody listening, be curious. And if you have a basic question, it's okay. And you should probably ask it because I bet a lot of other people have that question as well. Another thing is that as you're getting into the space, sometimes experimenting firsthand, sometimes making your own NFT, sometimes if you're if you're if you want to get involved in trading, it's just like putting like $200 and just then you have skin in the game to actually monitor it because you're not going to be checking the price or doing as much research on something uh, if you don't have any skin in the game. That said, I'm not I'm not telling people to go out and spend money on anything in particular, but it's it's just kind of a call towards experience experiential learning. And another note on that, though, is that don't expect the fruit to be immediate. A lot of um, returns that you see are long run in the making. And so when we in Living Opera take this, call it, call it a risk or this educated bet that this is going to be the future of music entertainment and including classical music, we are putting our capital here because we believe this is going to transform the sector. And so we're, we're willing to put our, our money where our mouth is because we, we truly believe it. Um, but I, I think just generally like learning and, and just being being aware of, of uh, trends out there and knowing what to not pay attention to, because there's a lot of information out there. And sometimes it's uh, easy just to like, I don't know, keep seeing the same talking points without getting a real answer. And so knowing how to sift through all the uh, material out there and get to the heart of an issue. That's something that I, I certainly still struggle with. And when I'm trying to learn about something, I'm trying to learn how to create a, an Ethereum node and, and whether to become a validator. So I'm, I'm myself always trying to learn new things. Yeah. And for the high school juniors and seniors who are deciding which colleges to apply to, do you um, recommend any particular concentrations for the students to study? Um, any particular like programs? Um, or just anything related to how they should be learning about cryptocurrency or blockchain? 
Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say two, um, maybe three things. One is at University of Nicosia. I say this not just because I'm affiliated with it. Well, actually, this is uh, what statisticians call reverse causality because I am affiliated with University of Nicosia because I really believe in their mission. And I think that they're doing an extremely good job on it. They have a MOOC, a massive online open course that I, I'm pretty sure is free. Um, I mean, if it's not free, it must be like some really small rate where they are bringing in like leading practitioners, influencers, scholars in the whole crypto space. So one of them, for example, is Punk6, uh, was it 659 or is like 1659. I'm forgetting his exact Twitter name, but it's like one of the original CryptoPunks holders who has a lot of insight and a big following on Twitter. But then you also get people that are lead investors. I think they're one of the lead investors from Andreessen Horowitz is going to be teaching that class too. So University of Nicosia has some awesome classes. Um, that you could like, on, this would be pretty hilarious if somebody did this, but like before you even graduate from your undergrad, having a master's from University of Nicosia in like blockchain and cryptocurrencies, that would be very doable. And they're very open-minded about just like that sort of stuff. So I, I think that'd be kind of cool. But um, second thing is uh, a lot of universities don't, so th this is just one of the realities is that the current mold in higher education, especially in research universities, is that faculty get promoted to tenure on the basis of their articles, their research articles being published within a very narrow set of journals. So I'm not going to, I don't want to take up all y'all's time going into too many details about this, but if you're in, let's say information systems in a business school, your tenure is literally a function of, do you publish in ISR, Information Systems Review, I'm actually forgetting the exact name of it, uh, Management Science, uh, or um, there, there's like one more journal, uh, ISR Management Science, I'm actually forgetting it, but like in finance, it's Journal of Financial Economics, Journal of Finance, Review of Financial Studies, and, and so on. And so it varies by discipline. And so what I, the reason why I bring that up is to say a lot of times you're not going to find the uh, most relevant, the most timely um, the most detailed research in a journal, you're going to find it on sometimes Twitter, just talking to people, building friendships with people. Um, and so I, I'd say just and when you're looking for where to gather information, where to prepare, don't feel like it has to, don't have unrealistic expectations about some of the undergrad programs or colleges. It's, it's like, okay, do, do your do your research in crypto, and then if you can gather additional in, insight in that program, great. But it might it might not be something that that's it's not going to be maybe the reason why you choose a particular undergrad. It's going to be more based off of do you feel like you would love being on this campus every day every day for the next four years or three years or however long you're planning. And uh, and lastly, don't don't sweat it. Like if you don't get into the undergrad that you really want to be at. That's okay. I mean, everything, things happen for a reason. And honestly, I went from like Arizona State University to Stanford and I actually found like a ton of super hardworking people at ASU, um, sometimes even more hardworking than at Stanford. Because sometimes people get into Stanford and they're like, oh, everything's already done for me. I don't need to try as hard. And I, I'm not, I'm not bashing either, but just to say, don't, don't fret if you don't get into kind of the, the school of your choice. Um, a lot of it just really depends on your putting in the hard work and the time and the hours and uh, and, and you can make a you can make a, a great uh, do a great job wherever you are. Yeah. Um, and what advice do you have for teens regarding the crypto or blockchain industries as a whole? Uh, can be any safety advice or really any words of wisdom that you would like to share? Say uh, about the industry, uh, just about the industry as a whole or where, where it's going. Say that one more time. 
Um, yeah, any advice for teens regarding the crypto or blockchain industries? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, when I, when I was brainstorming for this interview, there were a couple of best practices that I, I felt uh, would be would be interesting. So maybe this is a good time to share some of this. And I'm, I'm going to hopefully not butcher uh, what I had brainstormed before. So I might need to get my notes and, and see where I put some of this. But one thing and actually, so let me let me go through five. So one is is around um, really starting with something where you see that there is a need. Like maybe you hear from your friends of, hey, I, I keep hearing this need. It could be that there's not a technology, not a platform that does this, not a social communication platform that does this even if you're not the one that's launching it because obviously you're still all like you're still very early in your careers i'd say don't be don't be discouraged like you can be an early founder of something and there's plenty of early founders out there so don't be discouraged but even if you don't see yourself launching the company now keep the idea be be a good steward Wri write it down um, and take notes and maybe come back to it in a year and actually one of the things that i'm pursuing now is something i've had on my heart for 10 years and only in the past year i've really been building it out. Second is to really focus on the concept and not just the technology, because oftentimes it's that, that personal story, that philosophical alignment with, with where things are in the market that is really going to make something a success. Third is just about working hard putting in the time when other people are maybe like watching like whatever 10 hours of Netflix and you're studying, you're writing, you're doing whatever, um, that that's important time. Um, fourth is around playing to your strengths and that each of us is gifted in a different way. Some people are gifted that they love programming, that they that, that patterns just come to them as they're programming. Other people are more gifted orators. Other people are more gifted performers, whatever it is, play to your strengths and be uh, honest and reflective on them. And then five, is around collaborating with people to really complement um, compliment and fill in, uh, complement your strengths and fill in some of the weaknesses. And so the reason why I bring that up now is because I think uh, when you ask about kind of the way that the industry is going, what I see is like these are timeless uh, practices regardless of the technology. So it's like, sure, we could probably talk for an hour about what the market is going to do, what the crypto market is going to do, when's it going to get out of the crypto winter. But like a lot of that is speculation. What's not speculation are proven strategies and habits as individuals. And I just hope that uh, when people kind of walk away from this, there's some nugget of wisdom that you can immediately operationalize in your life. And it not only helps you as you're uh, kind of looking at the crypto market, but also just the way that you study, the way that you live your life on a day-to-day -day basis. So anyways, I think I think those were the five or so items. Yeah. So since we're almost out of time on this episode, did you have any um, final thoughts that you wanted to share or any like like last remarks? One one thing, and this maybe is a little bit more on the like philosophical side, is that there's a, a lot of people listening. You probably have people in your life that are maybe that they're in their 50s or in their 60s. And I'd say ask them what it was like going through like the internet revolution or whatever kind of era they identify most with, because there's a lot of cyclical things that just every time that there's some new technology that hits. I remember like I was, I, I forget, no, I think I was, um, I forget wh when I was, but when I, when the iPhone started coming out, but like, I remember being like, 
I didn't like texting. I put off texting as long as I could. I still don't really love texting, but I view it as like, okay, you kind of have to have it these days. And so I just remember seeing that trend. And then I think that there's a lot of insight that you can gain just by listening to people that have been through a couple of these industrial revolutions before. So just keep on learning and, and being humble and, uh, and, and just getting your feet wet. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that summarizes it like to thank you for sharing your experiences, suggestions, and thoughts. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Abby. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Cryptocurrency Teens podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and visit the CryptocurrencyTeens.com website to find extra resources and info. See you soon. Disclaimer, the views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of cryptocurrency teams and its staff. Second disclaimer is that this is not financial advice. The information contained in this podcast is not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as financial advice. In general, the advice offered by our guests should be general advice about the cryptocurrency industry or the blockchain industry and not specific investment advice. 